Hello and welcome to our BMJ Clinical Podcast. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. This podcast is about South American hemorrhagic fevers. The purpose is to help you recognise, report and refer affected patients. Argentine hemorrhagic fever was first reported in the town of O'Higgins in Buenos Aires province in 1958. The others are Venezuelan, Bolivian, Chapara and Brazilian. They are all highly dangerous and highly contagious, so I'm glad that we have help at hand. We have on the line Tom Kaizak, Professor of Pathology at the Galveston National Laboratory, University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, USA. So Tom, could you tell us what exactly are these fevers? Well, South American hemorrhagic fevers are a, a number of arena viruses that reside in the New World, and there are uh, more of the viruses uh, in the general family than those that cause hemorrhagic fever. But of the five or so viruses that cause hemorrhagic fever, uh, belong to one particular clade. Uh, these are rodent-borne viruses that, when humans become infected can result in a febrile illness, which can deteriorate into uh, what's generally known as a hemorrhagic fever. Okay, thank you. And how would you recognize an affected patient? Well, in general, they would start with a a syndrome that's really indistinguishable from other febrile illnesses, but they often uh, deteriorate into something that becomes more serious. Some of the clinical lab findings that are associated with the hemorrhagic fevers are low platelet counts, uh, which are quite low and uh, probably one of the most distinguishing features, but people's uh, blood pressure and uh, general stability deteriorates in instances when these are the cause of infection. So some of the hemorrhagic fevers, uh, just to give names to them, are associated with Hunin virus, Argentine hemorrhagic fever. Machupo virus associated with Bolivian hemorrhagic fever, something called Sabia, which is less uh, certainly common with only a few cases having been described in Brazil, and uh, a virus called Guanarito, which uh, causes hemorrhagic fever in Venezuela, and one other uh, virus called Chapare, which is more recently discovered, uh, having been associated really with only one case in Bolivia, I believe. Okay, great. And are the different forms of hemorrhagic fever similar to each other clinically, or do they have different presentations? I would say amongst the viruses that we just ran through, they're pretty similar in the presentation, the clinical presentation. Okay, thank thank you. And besides a full blood count to check for platelets, what other tests would you request if you saw a patient who you suspected of having one of these hemorrhagic fevers? Often, uh, things like liver enzymes can go off. The white count itself has uh, more characteristic uh, findings with uh, low white cell counts as well as the platelets being reduced. Okay, great. Thank you. And if someone is diagnosed with one of these conditions, what isolation measures should be should be taken? I mean, in general, I would say that uh, certainly infection control is a consideration. 
but it's relatively uh, uncommon for secondary infections with the South American hemorrhagic fevers. There certainly are some transmission that have occurred from patients, but it's not the instance uh, that one would associate with viruses such as Ebola. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, these being exotic agents and with uh, patients shedding some virus, it is a consideration. And uh, certainly infection control practices should be at the higher end of those that are normally practiced. Okay. And I assume that these diseases need to be reported. Is, is that correct? It depends upon what the national laws are here in the United States. They are considered to be reportable diseases. Okay, thank you. And how, how serious are the clinical illnesses? Uh, what's, what's the prognosis typically for patients? Well, in, in general, the mortality for most of these arena viruses where there's a sufficient number of cases to uh, determine that have been somewhere in the 15 to 20 percent that as patients do recover, uh, sometimes the convalescent stage is prolonged and there are not permanent, but sequelae that are uh, go on for a while. So these are quite serious illnesses if you do manage to become infected. Okay, thank you. And I wonder, could you tell us a little bit about differential diagnosis? What, what are the common differential diagnosis of, of, of these fevers? Well, it probably depends on the area uh, that people have traveled in, uh, but things like leptospirosis, other viral infections like uh, hantaviruses, certainly in the early stages, malaria, yellow fever would be another viral illness that's uh, pretty common in some of the same areas where the South American arenavirus infections come from. Okay, thank you. And, and how can you tell these fevers from their differentials? What are the features that are particular to them, could you tell us? Serious decompensation, blood pressure issues, the CLIN uh, lab test that we've talked about already with uh, low platelets and low white counts are among uh, the features that often when we would get calls uh, in my former job at CDC, we would try and bring up uh, to try and differentiate or help differentiate. But in the end, I think you're going to have to have some specific lab testing done, which is not likely to be something available at, you know, tertiary care facilities, probably not even in the U.S. at state health departments, but rather referring it off to the national laboratories. Okay, thank you. And what would you say are the common pitfalls in diagnosis and management? You know, on the front end, uh, getting an adequate history that would raise the index of suspicion to put these in the differentials would be one of the chief things. A fever that is not resolving with some decompensation on the part of the patient would be one of the things often that would lead to infectious disease consults and seeking uh, outside diagnostic fortification. Okay, thank you. And are there any recent advances um, in the diagnosis or investigations or, or management? Certainly in terms of diagnosis, the advent of PCRs uh, that can be quite specific and the technology or at least the ability to have the right primer sets and do the diagnostics at 
more locations than probably previously available only at central laboratories is one of the big advancements. Uh, I really can't speak to how common uh, they've become available. There are also screening technologies like gene chips and other things that do incorporate these. Uh, some are focused on hemorrhagic fevers, you know, not only for differential of these diseases, but other diseases that are uh, associated with hemorrhagic fevers might be available on, you know, sort of a one-test technology. Okay, thank you. And we don't need to go into too much detail about therapeutics, but if you could give us just a brief overview of that, that would be great. There are some antivirals that have effect that could be brought to bear, uh, but they're not broad spectrum, and so uh, some suspicion of a viral disease that is uh, susceptible uh, would be necessary for the institution of those. The one therapy that has been used in South America for largely for Hunin or Argentine hemorrhagic fever has been ribavirin. In South America, they have used convalescent plasma from recovered patients as well, but those are generally not available in distant sites outside of the endemic area. Uh, so ribavirin would probably be one thing that would be uh, available in most areas of the world. These are so rare that these are not really approved drugs for therapeutics in most countries. So some use under compassionate use is generally necessary from the authorities or off-license use on the part of the attending physicians. Okay, thank you. And uh, last question uh, now. If you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare professional about these fevers, I wonder what would it be? A good history uh, certainly would help bring them to the forefront of what might be and seeking outside assistance with diagnostics at an early course would be uh, somewhat useful. Okay, thank you very much, Tom, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognise, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice or BMJ Learning, and look at the content on South American hemorrhagic fevers. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.